and we want to show the world, especially future generations, that hey, just because you go electric, it doesn't mean that all the fun out of driving has to be gone. If anything, we'll show you how it could be even more fun than what it used to be, because the performance is hard to match. And so why not bring the best from the past and the best from the future and just fuse it together in today's day and age, right? So. So today on the Plugged In Podcast, we are interviewing Carlos Satulovsky, and he is the CEO and founder of Alation Hypercars, which is a new EV startup here in America. So the first thing I'd like to ask is, you were previously a pilot. How did you transition from being a pilot to being the CEO and founder of this EV hypercar company? Hi there. Yes, my name is Carlos Satulovsky. I am the CEO of Alation Hypercars. And... Currently, I am still an airline pilot, actually. So since I was a little kid, I had several dreams. One of my dreams was to be an airline pilot. One of them to, was to be a race car driver or to be involved in the automotive world somehow. And the other dream was to be an astronaut. So after I finished high school, I was born and raised in Argentina. After I finished high school in Argentina, I moved over to the United States to pursue my aviation career, um, which was very challenging as you can imagine you know getting used to a new place to live getting used to a completely new different language and then starting up into a career that is pretty difficult because it's very competitive many people follow aviation careers because they love uh, you know they love it from the heart basically and when you have a lot of passionate people competing for very few jobs it makes it for a big big challenge uh, but, you know, through hard work, dedication, through studying a lot and a lot of commitment, I uh, persevered and became an airline captain by the time I was 30 years old. So by the time I was 30, I was flying an Airbus 320 as a captain uh, with about 170 people or so. And then basically continued moving forward in my aviation career until I made it to uh, work for UPS, United Parcel Services as a uh, MD-11 pilot, eventually moving on to the 747. And so currently, still though, even though I'm out actually on a temporary medical situation, um, I continue to fly 747s for UPS around the world, uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, don't tell anybody, but I will do it for free. And, uh, <laughs> and um, at the same time, it allowed me to continue exploring the world, to continue networking, to continue seeing uh, the advancements in technologies around the world. And getting to my very first step career-wise in my life, which is you know accomplishing my dreams of becoming an airline pilot, allowed me to segue into my next step, which is getting involved in the automotive world. Uh, not only from the perspective of you know having the time to do it because as an airline pilot I have a lot of free time and that's what allowed us to you know to think about uh, elation hypercars as a company to you know to build the foundation of the company to start organizing where we're going with this to build the team of very experienced engineers because as you know you can't do anything by yourself you have to 
surround yourself with the experts in the field, right? Create an amazing team and then start pursuing the passion, you know, your next passion, your next goal. In this case, um, being pursuing elation hypercars, which we started six years ago. And, um, you know, and through a lot of hard work and dedication on that field has led us to six years later, be the only and the first luxury all electric hypercar made in the USA, made in America. So. So the one question I'd like to ask is starting a hypercar company, why did you choose to go electric? Initially, we didn't choose to go electric. We decided to evolve as the technology was actually evolving. So six years ago, when we first started, um, we had a different platform. Initially, um, it was actually going to be a, a, a V10, focused on a V10, 5.2 liter V10. And you have to think that all of our team actually comes from most of them from South America and from European motorsports, Le Mans, Formula One, GT2, GT3. And they're all motorheads, basically, right? They all love their internal combustion. So it actually took quite a bit of swaying from me here in the United States to allow the team to see where the future is going. Uh, six years ago, the electric technologies, of course, Electric technologies have been around for 100 years or so. But from the last six years or so is when they really started evolving to really start taking it serious that the technology has evolved enough where not only you have a very powerful motor, but in addition, it can give you range, the range necessary to make it useful. And, uh, and that's where I started putting my side as a CEO of the company to give the company focus and direction of where we need to go, basically to be ahead of the pack in the future. So when you, when you had the decision to change to an electric vehicle platform, did you have to redesign your chassis in order to cater for the electric batteries? Or did you just sort of just re redesign sort of the, the engine compartment for, you know, battery cells and all that? Did, are you putting the batteries on? Well, underneath sort of, or are you planning on sticking it near the back, near the, like the rear subframe? Right, so to answer your question, um, we did have to go back and start with a white sheet of paper and redesign everything again. Uh, the reason why is because the original Elation Freedom was actually designed for, as I said, for the V10. And uh, what we decided to do, rather than just scrapping the V10 altogether, we decided to actually do something that no other electric company has done until now, which is we want to celebrate the technologies that led us to where we are today. So in other words, we want to celebrate the iconic um, internal combustion technologies. And that's the reason why we came up with the Elation Freedom iconic collection. Uh, at the same time, we had that platform completely designed. So we had to evaluate what do we do? How do we pivot this project? Do we somehow try to accommodate to make room for all this electric technology and see how we can package it to put it on the internal combustion electric freedom? Or do we redesign everything so we can extract the most amount of performance out of the electric technologies? And so what we decided instead is to just basically create, right? We didn't go and change the exterior of the car too much, just a few minor things. 
to differentiate the internal combustion vehicle from the electric. But we decided to focus 99.9% .9 on the electric and just have the iconic collection for those owners who weren't ready just yet to accept the electric technology, but they want to have a freedom, they want to drive a freedom, and they want to have a piece of history that most likely will continue to become more and more rare and to basically increase in value, right? But we also know that as soon as they get a chance to test the electric technology, elation freedom, right? The one that basically the, uh, the elation freedom, the electric one, that they will naturally want to step into that vehicle and to adopt the electric technology just from a performance point of view. So I kind of got sidetracked there, but to answer your question, we did design the car from scratch again because we needed to make sure that all the weight and all the mass of the vehicle is exactly where it should be for handling purposes. So if we just comply with, let's take out the V10, let's take out the fuel tank and let's just fill in those areas with electric technologies, it wouldn't give us a proper weight and balance that we were needing you know, to have optimum performance and optimum handling. Yeah, and to add to that, that's very similar like what they did with a lot of the, com the compliance cars for uh, California and Oregon with the, uh, like the Volkswagen e-Golf and some of these other cars where they just had an internal combustion model and they just threw in batteries and motors there just to have their electric car. But the one thing I want to ask is, so when you mentioned transitioning, transition, transitioning from uh, internal combustion to electric, was there a turning point for you? Did you drive an electric car and say, this is a future or how did that happen? Well, you have to think I'm, uh, for the last 20 some years, I've been living in Silicon Valley. Okay, so I kind of saw the birth and the growth of the electric cars and you know, I did have my very first experience when I saw an electric car for the very first time without going into brands. We all know which brand we're talking about, okay? And it's like, wow, this is really cool. I really like it. And then you open the hood and there's nothing but space. And you think about the, uh, the, the safety aspects of not having a big motor sitting in front of you, right? And you think about from the engineering side, how many moving components that does this big motor have versus an electric motor? And from the performance point of view, right? I got a chance to drive electric vehicles many times now. And, you know, and I see from the performance point of view is, wow, it's incredible. You know, the, the automatic on-demand torque that you get out of an electric motor, you don't get it out of an internal combustion vehicle. And so you start piling up all the advantages that you have out of implementing these electric technologies. And there's just no denying that is the way of the future, basically. Uh, we just haven't had access until, you know, until these last few years because of the battery technologies and the computer technologies that could control all this power. But there's no denying that that's where the future is. And, uh, and that's where I felt that as a, as a startup six years ago, back in 2014, when we started Elation Hypercars is we knew we wanted to build a hypercar by why go chase the past, right? Why put us 20 or 30 years behind some of the other internal combustion 
hypercar manufacturers where we can position ourselves in front of them, you know, just by adopting the electric technologies. And so that's how we decided that, uh, you know, there was pretty much the only minus, if anything, will be the challenges of figuring out how to work with these new technologies. Um, but other than that, there were just all pluses. Yeah, I would actually 100% agree with that. I do believe that the electric, the electric future it is the future. I, I, I actually do own a Tesla at the moment, and you, I just, there's just no going back to your standard vehicles when you realize the advantages. And I think there is, there is things that need to be overcome over time, but it definitely is the future. And I was just wondering, like, so since you've, you've decided the electric sort of position, position yourself into the electric future, what sort of stage are you in, like the uh, design process? Do you have rolling prototype? Is it all on the computer at the moment? Whereabouts are you? And do you have plans to sort of have a, a working prototype anytime soon? Or do you have it already? How's this? Definitely. definitely. Um, there is, in fact, some uh, press releases that went out a couple of months ago in which we decided when... We, we basically work secretly for the last five and a half years. And the reason why we work secretly is because, as you know, in this industry, unless you have a very well-known company already to begin with, okay, um, for the startups, you kind of have to prove yourselves because anybody nowadays, many uh, teenagers, who knows you know, how to use the computer and how to do 3D surfacing. They create some kind of good looking car and then they build up a website and they make it seem as if it was, hey, this is the next, the, the future of the, all the hypercars right here, right now, branding and everything, right? But many times it's nothing but an empty shell, right? It's just an exterior design that just looks mind blowing, but it doesn't have any content behind it any engineering any proof and so what we decided to do is instead of six and a half years ago, or sorry five and a half years ago letting the world get to know who we are and follow us along in our journey and the naysayers and the non-believers and whatnot we decided to actually do all the hardcore work all the engineering all the processes all the designing all the construction right behind closed doors, basically. Just we kept it to ourselves, which was really difficult to do because when you have a cool project like this in your hands, you really want to share it with everybody from your heart. You really want to let everybody know. But instead, we held off and we worked you know, quietly for the last uh, so, you know, five and a half years. And then about two months ago, we sent out a PR after we let the, uh, we actually went live in September last year. And of course there were the naysayers saying, oh, this is nothing but a cool design. And so what we had to do is we had to follow it up with a PR of the Dogo, D-O-G-O-001, which is the affectionate name that we gave our prototype. <clears throat> and we started showing our prototypes just to show people, hey, this is not just a digital design. So, for, you know, and Dogo, it's uh, the Spanish word for dog, basically. And they used it to name an Argentinian breed of dogs, uh, which is used for hunting. And the dog is, uh, 
very focused in protecting its owner. It's been wired to protect its owner. And, uh, and that's the reason why we felt that this represents a good name, you know, not only because it's Argentinian and most of our engineering team is from Argentina, but in addition, because that prototype has to protect its owner and that's its sole job. So there is a prototype. Is it a running prototype? No, not yet. Um, because there's so many engineering cycles that goes into taking this car basically from, you know, being a static prototype in which you're adding on to until you get to, you know, upload the motors and the batteries and all the components. Uh, but uh, we're working, you know, towards that goal. And basically we plan to have a running prototype before the end of the year. Wow. So that's uh, pretty cool. They're going to have a running prototype by the end of the year. When do you see uh, production starting? So right now, uh, basically we're producing three prototypes. That's what we're working on. Uh, basically it's full carbon fiber monocoque chassis. You're talking about full Italian carbon fiber body, all the attention to detail, luxury interior, um, two different versions with the, the most powerful version being nine, nine hundred, <clears throat> 1903 horsepower, okay? <clears throat> and you're talking about something that is to be a mechanical masterpiece. We didn't just want to build a hypercar. Anybody can build a car that goes fast. Okay, not anybody, but in figurative speech, right? But what we wanted to do is we wanted to actually build something that is a work of art, a mechanical masterpiece, something that has all the uh, handcrafted attention to detail. And so basically we're going through our engineering cycles, okay? So by this time next year, you will see three of those prototypes. You will see two prototypes that are used for prototyping right, which eventually will be completely destroyed, you will see a prototype that is basically our showroom car, which is our um, pride and joy with all the uh, attention to detail. And there will be a cycle of cars that continue to be produced for different cycles of prototyping. Each one will have their reason for existing. And now when it comes to customer vehicles to customer production. Uh, our very first customer production vehicles will begin to be uh, built uh, in Q4 of 2022. Wow, so that's actually not that far away. Not that far away. Wow, so uh, I was reading on your website, it said a uh, Cascadia Motion Partnership. Is that for the uh, battery packs? Uh, no, that's not for the battery packs. That's for the motors. Okay. That's for the motors. So, uh, mm -hmm. so I think the one question I want to ask is I know Fisker, the old Fisker did this with the Karma. They contracted out their production. Is that how you're going to try to do this? Or are you planning on building your own factory? Right. So <clears throat> the reason why we decided to actually partner with Cascadia Motion to partner with Brembo for the brakes, to partner with Olins for the shock absorbers is because sometimes you really don't want to build 
rebuild the wheel, right? You, want, you don't want to build every single component of the car. Rather, we chose for actually doing what we do best, which is building high-performance cars, which is building you know, a suspension that can handle like no other with all the, you know, the experience and background from motorsports that the team has to offer, right? We wanted to make sure that we designed something beautiful, but just like aircraft manufacturers, right? I'm not sure if you knew, like for example, Boeing with the 747, Boeing manufactures airplanes, but they don't manufacture engines. The engines are GEs, they're Rolls Royce, right? And basically they get hung on the wheel, uh, on the wings, right? And then this becomes a flying aircraft, but Boeing will build the aircraft. So we decided to actually focus on doing what we know how to do best, which is building the car at this point. We decided not to build the brakes. Is it possible? Yeah, we can build calipers, we can build brakes, but we decided not to do it. And the same goes for the electric motors. The reason why we chose Cascadia is because they are a US-based company, right? And we are a US-made car. So we felt that when it comes to the electric technology and its motors, we have to embrace the US technologies to make it a part of our car. And Cascadia is an arm of Borg and Wagner. And Borg and Wagner, they've been around for a long, long, long time. They've been building electric motors for OEMs for a long time, okay? Some of the biggest brands. So they are pretty much the best at what they do because they have that experience. And Cascadia being an arm of Borg and Wagner um, Cascadia does a lot of the uh, a lot of the controllers and inverters, and they got into motors, into basically repackaging the core and adding certain components to allow that core to you know to be able to extract as much performance as possible. They even do cares for Formula One. They're involved in hill climb cars, right? So we decided and they've been around for basically, they've been doing electric motors and electric components for over 40 years. So we decided to use, you know, their 40 years of experience in the field to basically work hand in hand to develop these technologies together. Yeah, and I think that is a much better decision just to like Brembo, because the cost of manufacturing your own brakes is gonna be significantly higher than using already good brakes because yeah and then right, exactly. I think we wanted proven technologies more than anything because in order for people to come and adopt these type of new technologies we have to give them something that is truly proven could we have gone and start manufacturing our, our, our own motors definitely is that something that we will consider doing to the, in the future probably but right now at the startup level, we felt that it was very, very important. It was key to have something that is completely reliable, that is not going to give the buyers any surprises, basically. Yeah. So from what I, the other question I'd like to ask is on the topic of the batteries, how are you planning going about that? Is there going to be a partnership or? There's also a partnership with that. That's right. That's right. Okay. And, and these guys have been involved in motorsports heavily. And so there's also a partnership with that. And uh, basically we're working hand in hand uh, with engineering basically to create 
the battery packs uh, to go in the freedom. So this is not like off the shelf uh, standard parts that, you know, just basically put it together, bolt it on and that's it. And so there's quite a bit of uh, misconceptions uh, for people who are not familiar with the technology just yet that they think that, you know, you can just go to any of these battery stores and, oh, you know, just buy a pack of six modules and bolt them on and, you know, you build yourself an electric hypercar. And uh, they really don't realize how much engineering, how much uh, software, hardware, trial and error goes into this. Especially because if you really think about the consequences, right? So let's say, for example, we have two 450 uh, kilowatt hour motors in the rear, right? So you have two motors feeding two wheels, right? And of course we have an in-house manufacturer uh, preparatory uh, gearbox with torque vectoring system, okay? That we created in-house basically. And unlike other manufacturers, we don't control everything with software, okay? Most of the other manufacturers, they control with software to provide torque vectoring. But you could imagine really quickly, you know, how things could go wrong. If you were doing 150 miles per hour, suddenly one of the motors stopped producing power and the other is still producing, let's say 75% power. Then suddenly you have no traction on one wheel, you have 75% power in the other wheel. Things could get ugly really quickly, especially when it comes to the front side of the car where you have to, you know, you're dealing with steering now and, you know, it could put you in a very uncomfortable situation really quick. So there needs to be redundant fail-safes, basically. And it's not just a, you know, plug and play type deal that you just buy from somebody and you implement it. Unfortunately, it's not that easy. So I have, a, I have another question. So you mentioned about two motors on the rear, on the rear axle, is that right? Mm -hmm. Two. Will, will you also, will it be a four motor system, like a four motor architecture with two in the front as well, or, or how will that work? That's right. So. Basically, we plan to offer the Freedom in two different versions. We plan to offer a tri-motor version, and we plan to offer a four-motor version, okay? Uh, most hypercar manufacturers out there right now, they're offering a four-motor version, so which is usually about 1,900 horsepower four-motor version. Uh, we've been asked, even in some of the articles, questioned, why would we want to do a three-motor version? And the main reason behind is that as everything, right? New technologies, there's a lot of misconceptions. And there is a misconception that people think that just because you have 1900 horsepower, you can use it at all times. And that's unfortunately very far from the truth. Um, but it looks great in marketing purposes. Uh, many hypercar companies, they love to brag about the power then you know 1900 horsepower but in reality and nobody likes to talk about this so this is kind of an exclusive right here okay the cut is out of the bag it's all computer controlled and the computer is only going to give you the power that you know that or that it knows that it can put down on the ground safely if not you give it the full 1900 horsepower you'll be spinning in position 
your wheels will just basically be spinning. The car is not going to be moving, right? So everything has to be toned down to the limit of tire adhesion, right? So at the end of the day, how much of the 1900 horsepower can you really use at speed ranges that we drive normally, even if you were in the racetrack, even to, you know, to 150 mile per hour. So there's a lot of power left uh, that is completely untapped and unusable unless you are very high speed ranges. Okay, so what we decided to do is we decided to give our customers a tri-motor version with 1400 or so horsepower, 1427, which is more horsepower than what you could ever use. <clears throat> but what happens now is that you're not carrying that extra engine, which means weight, which means consumption, right? And which means increasing the mass of the vehicle you're not carrying that anymore, which allows you to have a much more nimble, lighter, and even higher performance vehicle at medium to low speed ranges. And that's the reason why, even though it's counterintuitive and it doesn't make so much sense, the tri-motor version will offer you know, a higher uh, performance overall than the four-motor version. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, um, many people were talking about the the sort of quad motor type of setups, but I think it's interesting how Tesla's also, for their Tesla Roadster's also gone for the three motor, tri-motor plaid sort of powertrain and, and mentioned how uh, in achieved handling because of the less weight on each, you know, the less weight with the the extra motor. So I think, I think I, I, think I assume that you're going to go for a tri-motor version as well because... Uh, I've done some research about the um, about the handling of a, a tri motor and a quad motor sort of uh, setup. So yeah, you'd answer my question there. Right from the marketing perspective, right? If uh, other hypercar manufacturers are offering 1,900 horsepower and somebody comes up with a 1,400 horsepower without full understanding of the whys, right? People would say, well, well, you know, naturally. I gravitate to the higher horsepower rather than the lower. Why buy a lower horsepower vehicle? And that's the reason why. And also at the very high speed ranges, that's when that fourth motor comes in handy, right? Now, how many times do we really drive a vehicle from 200 to about 260 miles per hour? Very few times, okay? But we wanted to make sure that we accommodate to every one of our future owners and uh, that's the reason why we offer the fourth motor configuration. Yeah, fourteen hundred horsepower. It's like <laughs> I'd like to be at that point where uh, you consider a car with nineteen hundred horsepower over fourteen hundred. But if I mean fourteen hundred, that's still really crazy. But uh, I think the one question. Well, I mean, that's still over one megawatt of power, which is just insane to think about in a car that small and that lightweight. But the one question I really want to ask is with your, with your vehicle, you, you mentioned the interior on it and how it's luxurious. Would you mind uh, like talking about the interior and what type of uh, features it has inside? Sure, of course. Um, as far as the interior is concerned, a lot of the interior, a lot of the ergonomics for the interior came from 
my experience being an airline pilot and having experience basically flying aircraft that cost over $200 million, right? So if you can think about all the work that Boeing, that Airbus, that McDonnell Douglas has put into this aircraft to make sure that basically the ergonomics uh, are correct, you know, from the safety standpoint as well for the usability, for the reachability of controls and whatnot. Uh, we really try to influence our team of designers into incorporating this time of you know this type of ergonomics into the freedom, and that's the reason why if you were to look at a picture of the freedom from from the center inside the cockpit, you will see, clearly see that it's subdivided into two individual capsules, if you will, the driver and the passenger, right? And we wanted to, because there are many hypercars out there that they focus solely on performance, or there's many cars out there that focus on beauty and luxury design. So basically what we wanted to do is we wanted to bring both of them together and bring the outside of the vehicle of the elation freedom to the inside basically because as long as you're driving and riding the car you don't get to see all these beautiful things outside so we really wanted to give uh the uh, the, the driver and the passenger this feel that is like this echo chamber of emotion basically right we wanted to provide them with a raw experience but not too raw that everything is bouncing around and you hear all this noise and everything. But at the same time, we didn't want to give them such a sealed up experience that they couldn't experience what the car has to offer either, right? Because if everything's too quiet, too, you know, too much uh, comfort and silence, then there's no emotional aspect to it too. So we wanted to find the perfect balance uh, we felt that by doing a luxury interior where basically you, you know, you, you get um, Italian carbon fiber, and this is like proprietary carbon fiber that is very different from the carbon fiber patterns that we're going to be using on the exterior, right? Uh, the customer is completely, um, what would you call it? Basically, we work hand in hand with the customer to make sure we customize. So we will offer about five different types of carbon fiber that they can choose from for the interior. So it's not just, hey, this is the way the interior looks and that's it, right? So five different types of carbon fiber. Um, the, the leather is the best quality leather from Germany that we're going to be using. It's the same leather that they use in, in basically in corporate jets, okay? And I'm not allowed to disclose right now as to which company is going to be doing the interior, okay? Because rather than doing that in-house, uh, we are working together with the company. What I, what I can tell you is that they do presidential limousines, they do uh, executive vehicles and very, very, very special vehicles for the interior. So we're bringing all that together. And in addition with a partnership with Boltons, Boltons is a, an iconic company that they do um, logos and you know uh, precious stones and precious metal components as to it's going to allow us that if you want to configure 
the buttons, which we call automotive jewelry. If you want to configure the automotive jewelry, all the different buttons to, you know, paddle shifters and whatnot of platinum, rose gold, mother of pearl, we can do that. And so we're going to be able to, as a matter of fact, each interior of the car will be completely unique. So no two freedoms will be the same. So uh, on the topic of luxury features, this isn't really a luxury feature, but a question I want to ask is, will this have uh, DC fast charging in case you want to do a road trip in a hypercar? Right, it will have, yes, it will have. So you should be able to go from zero to 80% in under 12 minutes at three, 350 uh, kilowatt hours worth of charge through the uh, fast charging network. Electrify America uh, has a fast charging network right right now. The, the fastest one out there right now is 350 uh, kilowatt hours. So we will comply with that as well. So zero to 80% in uh, under 12 minutes is not bad. That's not bad at all. And yeah, it's, it's actually very good. And I was just wondering, do you have any pre-orders at the moment? Like, are you taking pre-orders? Do you have people calling in asking for like sort of like a reservation? Yeah. How, how is that working? Yeah. And how many, uh, like, not to tell me how many, but just, you know. We, we, have, we have quite a bit of interest at the moment, quite a bit of interest. We okay. are setting up our dealership network rather than keeping it in-house and doing direct sales uh, to customers. We decided to actually um, partner with luxury dealerships around the country. We're in, in the process of setting up this network as we speak. It will be very limited. Um, there will be a maximum of five uh, dealerships around the country and, uh, and they will be basically offering the Elation Freedom. Customers can uh, check it out in our website, www.elationhypercars.com. If you go to the Find Your Freedom section of our website, that's where you actually have access to, you know, placing interest to be placed in the VIP list to enter the process of pre-ordering one of our cars. Yeah, that's, that's very cool. Actually, I've just, just on your website at the moment, I think the car looks great. I think it's a, do you have like a design team like working on it and you have an engineering team also working on the engineering at the same time? Right. That's how it's working. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. That's this cool. And I means this is nothing but team effort. Nothing but team effort. Right. I couldn't do it by myself at all. And, um, you know, but we did select an amazing group of engineers that joined the project um, because, you know, they want to be a part of this uh, exciting, not only, you know, the, the march forward, the move in technology and its advances basically for inspiring future generations to continue or you know present generations and future generations both in the adoption of the electric technology right so we can all have a clean environment and we can enjoy our beautiful earth longer without venturing into other worlds right because we have the best one right here but in addition um, our main focus is to inspire future generations that just because you are in an electric vehicle, um, that it doesn't mean that this is just a mode of transportation and that's it. We want to keep it <clears throat> interesting. We want to keep it fun and we want to show the world, especially future generations that 
hey, just because you go electric, it doesn't mean that all the fun out of driving has to be gone. If anything, we'll show you how it could be even more fun than what it used to be because the performance is hard to match. And so why not bring the best from the past and the best from the future and just fuse it together in today's day and age, right? So the handling, uh, the, um, you know, the suspension, all this fine tuning of all these components, but once you're able to bring it together and to fuse it with the technologies of the future, which are available to us today, you know, it creates something unlike anything else. And so that's what we're inspired by, you know, uh, we don't want 50 years from now, uh, the children in the future to be sitting in this transport platform with no driving wheel and everybody's in their electronic devices, completely clueless to what's going on in the outside. And they look at people from our generation and from your generation, and they're not able to understand wow, why, why were all these people so passionate about cars and racetracks and all these things, right? And so that's, that's our goal basically for the future to inspire um, generations to come basically to be involved in the driving and to want to, hey, let me take my go-kart to the track this weekend. Even if it's electric, that's okay. It's a lot of fun, right? Yeah, so just we're just gonna wrap, wrap it up in a second, but I just have another one more question to do with like emotion sure. and all that. And we know a lot of emotion actually comes from the engine sound. And I was just wondering, do you have plans to create like some sort of emotion with an electric sort of sound? If that that makes sense, it makes total sense. It makes total yeah. sense. And what we plan to do is, um, so some of the bad rap that electric cars have been receiving regarding the the quietness and how the emotional side of things, especially. As an expectator, it's a challenge, right? If you go see an electric car race, it's not the same, <clears throat> right? As an F1, uh, because the sound just fills you all the way to the core of your body and allows you to feel that emotional aspect in your heart. Um, from the drivers, so that one is indeed is a challenge, right? From the driver's perspective, what we try to do is we try to actually allow the, uh, the driver and the passenger to have the sound feedback of this high revving electric engine. So the electric, the sound of an electric engine very much so like an RC car, right? It is a very, it, it's like a turbine of an aircraft actually. It is a very enticing sound <clears throat> that if you don't shield it too much, right? You allow the driver and the passenger to actually get that Heptic feedback of the sound and you could almost feel it, right? You have a very high revving engine. In fact, four or three of them in that car. So when you let them rev up all the way to, you know, 12,000 and higher RPMs, it could be very, very enticing, okay? And so what we try to do is we try to actually allow for those sounds to come into the cockpit and, uh, and, and give that feedback to the driver and passenger. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful sound. I think it's a matter of just getting used to it, right? And, and getting used to the, the, the behavior of the car uh, when you hear those sounds. And you know, one experience I can tell you is when I used to fly the MD-11, 
is a tri-motor jet. You're sitting way in the front. Those engines are way in the back. We use noise canceling headsets like the one you're using there, Matt. And when you come in for landing, it's extremely quiet. And it's very difficult to actually land the aircraft without any sound whatsoever in a very quiet environment. Because the biggest feedback that many times you get is the sound of the motors, just knowing you know, what those motors are doing just by listening before you even see those auto throttles moving. And so that's why we felt it was really, really important that if you're gonna be driving a hypercar like this um, and you're gonna be doing you know, zero to 60 in 1.8 seconds or less, you need that motor feedback. You need to know what's happening. All right, so final question before we end this is, what would you drive? Would you drive the gas or electric model? I'll go for the electric motor all the way, all the way. Ooh, sounds good. The gas one seems like it's, uh, how much horsepower does the gas one make? Uh, 750 horsepower. Ooh, that's still enough. <laughs> it, it's no slouch. Still, yeah. <laughs> you know, zero to 60 in right around two seconds. Uh, still super high performance, still a lot of fun. Uh, but definitely, uh, you know, I like to embrace the future all the way. I think the way to go is electric and uh, can't wait to actually have the running prototype, um, you know, to start all the prototype in all the test cycles and, uh, you know, to get, to get our hands on the car is very, very exciting. It's a moment that we've been waiting for forever, you know, and uh, we just can't wait to, to, you know, to see it all the way through and to later on share it with our customers, share it with the world uh, you guys are always welcome to come and, you know, catch a ride and get to experience it yourself. And, you know, we're looking forward to uh, what we're looking forward to is we're looking for. So we are low volume in the sense that, you know, a hundred vehicles hardly makes an impact to the world. However, right from the mass market perspective, however, we know that with this type of 100 vehicles, we can inspire the masses to adopt the electric motor technology, basically. That is very exciting times for your company. And I'd like to thank you again for coming on today. It was a great conversation. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. My, my pleasure. We're you know, very happy to be here representing Elation Hypercars. And uh, come and check us out online. Check us out on our Instagram page. Um, Facebook page. We're just growing those platforms. As I shared before, uh, we decided to remain secret, which right now, right, we're just picking up in all the social media, but come out, check us out, you know, be part of this journey with us. All right. And it's uh, lationhypercars.com. And sounds good. Thanks again. <laughs>